This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things X. I am your host, Dr. Chikaya Ellis Robertson. Through panel discussions, interviews, and commentary with academics, practitioners, and insights professionals, this show is loaded with tidbits and tips on the measurement, practice, and study of experience. Thanks for tuning in. I am here with Dr. Angela Hall. I am so excited to be talking with you today. As a fellow podcaster on the CX of M radio network, I'm so glad that our paths have crossed. Today, we'll be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the debate about how effective training is in this area. Before we jump in, Angela, can you share a little bit more about your background so everyone knows how smart you are in this area and other things that you care about in the employee experience space? First of all, I am so glad to be here. And second of all, Chikai, you're just way too kind. Um, I didn't give you a little bit about my background. So I'm an associate professor at Michigan State University. I'm in my ninth year at MSU. Before that, I was on the faculty of UT San Antonio and before that, Florida State. I'm trained as an attorney. I got my law degree from Florida State University and I also got my PhD in organizational behavior and human resources from Florida State University. Um, I do research and consulting and teaching in the areas of um, employee accountability, um, in barriers to employment, and diversity, equity, and inclusion, including looking at how, ways that we can use technology to make um, workplaces um, more equitable environments. As far as um, diversity, equity, inclusion, my experiences um, have included not only publishing and doing professional development and running independent studies and having um, and training graduate students on it, but recently I was very, very thrilled when the Biden administration contacted me, specifically my friend Jenny Yang at the Office of Federal Contractor Compliance and also uh, Charlotte Burroughs, the director of EEOC, asked me to um, be at a convening and help them with trying to find best practices and diversity training. So that was just a few weeks ago. So I'm working to pull together some resources for them. So that's a little, a little bit about me. That is phenomenal. I mean, who wouldn't want to get a call from the Biden administration? And what better person to call? You're super smart, attorney, doctor, org behavior. You've got all the right pieces, especially when you talk about, um, you know, kind of social contracts with people and what it requires them to go back to work. And when those when those contracts don't quite include the equitable environment that everyone is trying to solve for right now, that makes it really, really difficult. So, you know, kudos to you. I love the fact that your background situates you perfectly to kind of talk to the folks today about equity in the workplace, um, how organizational behaviors uh, plays a role in that, 
and and truly accountability because we have to consider all those things but also what do people want to do you know where do people want to go back to work if they do how do they go back to work what does it feel like to them and can we make it a better place than it was before we all left so i love what you're doing i love the fact that you come with so much expertise and background i know when we were preparing for the talk you shared some really differentiated thoughts about diversity training um, and one thing I want to talk about, because I know this is this gets this gets highlighted more than anything else, I think. In your opinion, does unconscious bias training work? I just want to go straight there. Share why or why not, in your opinion. Thank you. Um, I don't think unconscious bias training works. I mean, I don't want to criticize an employer that's trying to do something on the efforts of diversity, equity, inclusion. But what we've seen is that um, over the long term, these types of trainings, they, they, they don't work. As a matter of fact, they might even amplify or um, bring people attention to some, to some, some biases that they may have. Um, a scholar that I really respect, his name is Frank Dobbin, and he is a sociologist over at Harvard, and he was in the same convening that I was in at um, uh, with the Biden administration, and he and I have crossed paths many times uh, in, in, in before. Um, Frank says, you know, it can teach you how to be even like a better biased person. And it's like saying, don't think of elephants. Well, what are you going to think of? You're going to think of elephants. So that's, that's the one thing. So just in and of itself, it might not be effective. But even if it does have some like strengths, the research shows that it's only shows um, some efficacy over really the short term. And it doesn't like um, change people's long term behaviors. It may let them have more awareness into their own attitudes, but what we really need to seek are trying to find more uh, effective uh, types of training when we're talking about the DEI space. That makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting that you say <laughs> it trains people to be even more biased. And I would imagine, you know, as researchers, you're leading the witness, right? We're saying, hey, these are things you shouldn't do. Don't do these things. And then it, it, absolutely you do those things. You just, maybe there's just a heightened awareness about when and where those things come into play. But, I, but it's interesting um, that what you say about the efficacy over the long-term, because what we don't want is I've checked that box. I've done my unconscious bias training. I'm all, I'm all trained up now. Let's go off and let's go off and do the work of DEI. And it doesn't work like that. And I can definitely appreciate that coming from your standpoint as an academic and practitioner as well um, and all the work you've done. So thanks for your, for your opinion on that. Question, what would you say then are the key factors driving success in resolving issues around DEI? I think that there is a multi-pronged approach. It's something that you just mentioned, Chikai. It's not that you do one training and you're like, well, my DEI work is done. It's something that needs to be infused within the culture of the organization. It starts with having for example, a zero, zero tolerance in harassment, any type of harassment. It's doing things like casting a wider net 
when you are doing hiring, um, you know, instead of going to the same schools, look at your historically black schools, look at your tribal colleges, look at your um, women's colleges, look at historically Hispanic universities, doing things like that. Another thing that the research, my research and research from others, including Frank Dobbin have shown, is that if you have a diverse leadership team, that you're more likely to have a culture of inclusion. And an organization really needs to um, do a good job. You know, we're talking about also the employee experience. The part of the employee experience starts even before someone has come to work for that organization. When you look at a website and you're thinking about applying for a job and you don't see anybody who looks like you, or if you don't have the right types of language that looks inclusive, that's going to turn people off right there at the Gate. So looking through your entire organization and all the different touch points that employees or potential employees have at your organization and find ways to infuse a culture of that. And also I told you that, I, that I'm an accountability researcher and that's what I started off doing. That, for, that was my dissertation topic and I've published many articles on that. It's a notion of making people accountable for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm not talking about a quota system. I don't think that anybody is talking about, well, we wanna have five women, so we're just gonna put five women in here or three African-Americans. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the real substantive steps that employees and leaders take in order to infuse DEI. Do you mentor? people? What have you done in your recruiting strategies? What kind of initiatives have you taken to infuse DEI in your workplace? Those are all types of things that we know do work. That's good stuff. I think, <laughs> I think organizations want to do the right thing. They may not know what to do the right thing. And so sometimes they get stifled in doing no thing. So I think if nothing else, um, you've given uh, some really great um, tentacles into some of the things that will help to solve this over the long term. I love the zero tolerance, right? There's no chance to come and redo it again and infect more people with these attitudes. So I love that. And I think there's been a lot of research on, you know, the makeup of a team, not only from a workplace standpoint and the leadership, which is critical, you can't be what you can't see, but also I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So when you're looking at teams that come together to solve social problems, you need a team that can look at it from different angles. So I really, really, I love that. And the one thing that I think some companies just miss altogether is we're diverse, we're, we're attacking diversity in all these ways. You go to the website and there's not a lick of diversity on the website. It's kind of like you got to check what you say and walk the walk and not just talk it. And I think that just falls it falls on people that it's not just the stuff that you're saying, right? And there's so little tolerance for the performative statements that I love that you even um, take it there. So you mentioned that you had interviewed Frank Dobbin and you know his views on unconscious bias training and, and why that is not going to help solve the problem. What, what's your reaction to his thinking? You talked about it a little bit, but how does he then now today um, think about this and how does he and his opinions 
um, align with yours in terms of how companies can think differently about the training aspect and what other things are involved? I know I've been thinking a lot about this and have some ideas, but what are your thoughts um, from a training standpoint? So I know Frank and I really respect him. And you know, when I first interacted with him, I was a little intimidated. He's this big Harvard professor, he's all over the place, but he is so down to earth. And a lot of times when he says stuff, it grabs headlines. Mm. But what he's saying is, is that, you know, stop your performative type of things. You need to really put real action, have real accountability. You need to promote people. Just sending someone to some hour training, which might or even might not be even good training, um, is not how you do things. Um, Frank also, an extension of this, something that, you know, Frank is also a little controversial about saying that um, he said, if you're discriminated against, don't file, don't file um, a, a lawsuit. And what he's saying is that he's not really saying don't file a lawsuit. What he's saying is that we have the, or file a grievance or anything like that. He's saying that organizations have these things in place, the laws in place, but it doesn't usually give people the justice that they want. Their lives are usually worse. You've gone through an abusive process. The only way that I can really liken it is someone who's a victim of an actual crime. You know, like a lot of people say that they're victimized again when they complain and they have to tell the story over and over to the police. And sometimes they're turned around like, well, you're the wrong place at the wrong time or you were wearing the wrong thing or what have you done? And so he's saying that, you know, you really can't victimize people who've already been, for lack of a better word, victims. As a person, a woman of color, I don't like to think of myself as being a victim, but I know people have tried to victimize me. And he, he said, you know, you have to give, a, make the people who are leaders accountable. You have to infuse it and you have to promote, promote, promote diversity within your leadership ranks. You have to support it and you have to put money in in, into it and you can't just have these little systems well oh you feel like you've been discriminated call this hotline and not do anything or like once a person files some type of complaint or you know they've gone through training and they've been told that they need to file something and then people start to ostracize them in the workplace the person who filed the complaint so things that where what where you're doing things that are substantive and not just putting on a show. You need to support the people who have been historically marginalized with more than words or just some little mechanisms that you think can um, check a box. Man, you said so much. <laughs> Let me just try to unpack that a little bit. So I love the accountability, right? Nothing happens. If, if you're not accountable, you can't expect me to do anything different. That, that, that's just number one. It seems to be simple, right? But it's something that just hasn't been applied to this problem yet. So I can appreciate you saying that. Actions are critical. Words, yeah, thanks for those words, but what did you do differently, right? So I love the fact that he highlights and puts that into perspective too. But the 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 victimization, I never thought about it like that, right? And it's true because if I feel like there's gonna be more harm done to me by bringing these issues up, 
then how, however, will we ever solve for equality or equity, right, in a system that isn't designed to protect me? So I really like the protection aspect. And we have to learn not to put blame the witness, I guess, or blame the victim, um, because that doesn't help. You know, if I, if I don't feel safe, it goes right back to psychological. If I don't feel safe at work, then why I'm not, it's going to be very difficult for me to speak up when something's being done. But if I don't speak up when something's being done, nobody knows it's being done. There's no records. It's just a, it's a vicious cycle. So definitely, definitely appreciate that. The one thing too, which is supported with money. So we solved for the pandemic, right? We solved for people working from home, the digital enablement that needed to happen in months, right? That would typically take years. My philosophy is if we can make that happen, we can make this happen. Absolutely. But, the, the, but the requisites are, you gotta put people on it. It's not gonna fix itself with no people. It's not a plus one effort. It's not a let's do this on the side at night and, and on the weekends. You have to put real money toward it. And you have to, and one, one of the things that, Melody Hobson said on a program that I was watching about, you know, how to, if, if she could wave a wand and fix this, mm -hmm. what would she do? Tie it to executive compensation. If you don't tie it to executive compensation, you don't have the level of accountability to need it. You don't have a motivation that I think a lot of executives are um, held to. What are your thoughts about that? It was one, that was her broad brush, broad brush resolution. What do you think about that one? So first I'm chuckling when you say Melody Hobson. Do you realize she and I were classmates in high school, right? No way! You black people. Get out of here! Maybe <laughs> black, fewer than 10 of us in a class of 300. Oh, and wow. um, she was my classmate. That's amazing. Uh, so I agree uh, what Melody has to say. Um, she's right that you, people, money talks. And if you are tying like other measures or metrics of performance and to pay, then DEI has to be one of them. Yeah. And, and it's not just um, tying, oh, you stifled people from uh, filing lawsuits and you saved us money there. It has to be showing that what actual positive active actually did as opposed to risk management. For so many years, DEI has been taken from the approach of we're going to prevent lawsuits and that's what we're going to do. But I think that um, a lot of things have changed in our society. I mean, the pandemic has opened people's eyes, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. And just to think about it, I know I'm older than you, Jakaya, but like our generation is just different from the millennials. The millennials are really big on social justice. I mean, we came from kind of like the Wall Street greed is good type of culture uh, generation. And so they, they, they want things to be just. And now millennials are the biggest demographic in the workplace. So really aligning it more to the values of like, hey, um, if you are going to be considered a leader in this organization, you have to promote DEI. I just had someone in my classroom today from uh, a major company, and she was doing a case with my students. And this case was about supporting the LGBTQ community. And she said, you know what? You can say that you don't support the LGBTQ uh, community, but you know what? You don't have a place in our organization if you want to be a leader. And so it's one of those types of things. And, you know, you're tying performance 
to DEI, just like as any other performance metric. Yeah, it's a, it, it has to happen. And it's interesting that you say it's not just risk management. It's so good. I think that's why you're so uniquely talented in this space, because you've got the legal aspect, you've got the behavioral aspect. But, you know, after all, this show is called All Things X. So I have to ask, what are the implications of DEI and the way we've spoken about it and some of the things that have to be done from training and, and everywhere else and getting it right or wrong? What does that, how does that impact the people experience most? Why do we need to get it right for that? The employee experience is important because it is so important to the customer experience. If employees are feeling discriminated, oppressed, they're in a, an environment, they just hate going to work, that's gonna show in their interactions with customers or clients. Another thing is that there was a study that was done in 97 by a guy named Coyes, I believe is at DePaul University, and the repeat studies have shown the same thing. When you're looking at your best talent, they want to be associated with an organization that has a good reputation, not you're the organization known for discriminating against people. You're the organization known for like polluting the environment or whatever, or doing bad things. And so especially if you're going to try to hire your best talents, particularly when you think about how so many millennials are socially social justice driven, you're going to be really excluding a lot of your best talent if you do not support DEI, you don't infuse it, you don't um, show that that's something you care about from your website to all the touch points in the organization, and you're just going to not get this, that you're not going to attract or retain the talent that you want and that you need to have a really good ex uh, customer experience. And at the end of the day, everything that we're doing at work is is for a customer or an end client or someone else. And I agree with you 100%. What I'm feeling at work today is absolutely going to translate into anyone that I'm trying to serve. So if nothing else, I think that's critical. Um, but, you know, excluding talent, that's a big one. You know, I think when you look at the at the maturity cycle, and everybody likes to use this analogy about, you know, diversity, um, being at the game or what is it at the party and then inclusion is being asked to dance but having the right representation is I think at the beginning of the chain um, and when you can't even attract the people because of your outward persona as a business that's huge you're definitely going to be limiting your pipeline so I think both of those are really really critical as to why it needs to get right why companies need to get it right um, so, you know, are there any final words that you would like to share with the audience before we close out? I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, but any final words? Yeah, I, I wanted to end on a positive note. I think we've been positive mm -hmm. the entire time. But, you know, DEI work, it's a journey. It's not just one thing you do and you're gone. And we're all learning best practices and we're all learning what works and what doesn't work over time. 
And don't think that because something, you know, if you did a DEI survey back in 2018, that the things are applying today, even just a short amount of time, people's values have changed a lot. I mean, this country's gone through a lot. Mm -hmm. The world has gone through a lot in the last few years and people are constantly evolving. And um, we've just had so much interest in this topic recently that um, don't feel like you that don't feel bad if you're not an expert. Don't feel bad to ask questions and know that the process is one that continually involves. And as long as you are trying to get as many voices uh, involved in the process, that's a really good first step in trying to have an equitable environment. I love that, Dr. Hall. It is a journey, but you got to start. So I love that. And people's values are changing all the time. I would almost say anything in this area that happened before March 2020 is irrelevant, right? You got to talk <laughs> what's happening now. Like all the research, throw that out. Um, wow, this is powerful. You've given us a lot to think about. I personally continue to be just super impressed by everything that you bring to the table. I look forward to working with you more. Um, thanks for spending time with me today. Is there any, um, any, any, um, how can people get in touch with you? People if they have any questions. People can contact me by uh, sending me an email at athall at msu.edu. You can also um, listen to my podcast, which is called People Talk um, with Angela Hall. A new episodes drop every Thursday. And, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. I am so excited to have met you and to interact. And I wanna continue doing this, Chikai. You're just amazing. And I'm learning so much from you. And um, I just, you know, I'm just looking forward to our future together. Awesome. I am to my podcast sister on the CXFM network. I'm excited. I want to thank you and people, please check out People Talk with Angela Hall. She's always got something fascinating to say. Uh, with that, we will close out. And I just want to thank you again so much for your time. And I look forward to many more interactions. Great. Thanks. And I'll get you on my podcast too. Absolutely. Thanks, Angela. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things X. Please subscribe and share. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Chakaya Ellis-Robertson. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.